I want to bring to you part two of the message I began last week uh, on preaching that honors God. Preaching that honors God. It will be from selected scriptures. Normally we are going verse by verse through a book of the Bible. So if you're new with us, this is a, a more of a rarity. There are times when we stop the verse by verse exposition and we look at specific topics. Usually there's a reason for that. And uh, it's either a certain time of year that we might do that or a certain issue that we're trying to address. And so today I want to bring you part two of preaching that honors God. As a text to read, and, and one we'll be looking at throughout the sermon is uh, 2 Timothy 3. So if you would turn there, I, I want to set the tone here by reading 2 Timothy 3, 16 down through uh, 4, 4. I'll be referencing some of these passages later in the sermon. And it is this passage that teaches us so much about Scripture in the church and what we're to do with it. 2 Timothy 3, uh, 16 and 17 is a great passage to memorize just to recall to your mind the Word of God and how it challenges and affects us. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom. Preach, the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside from the truth. We'll turn aside to myths. But you be sober in all things. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Lord, this morning we want to just touch on this, how we are to be built up in the word. We're to be built up by the preaching and teaching of your word. It is your word, Lord. It is what you've given us to keep, to love, to follow. Let us see how it builds us up as a church and as individuals. We ask this in our Lord's name. Amen. Preaching that honors God. What is it? I gave you a list of four elements. I said last week that these four are not all we could say about preaching that honors God, but they are four important elements that we need to remember. I'll briefly cover the first three just to, to give us an intro into this idea of what honors God in preaching. And then, of course, I said this week we'll preach number four. I'll preach on preaching that honors God because it's edifying. You see, that's what preachers do when they run out of time. They just cut the sermon and say next week's sermon will continue with the last point of the passage. It is an important message, though. So I want to just briefly remind you of the first three points. Preaching that honors God, number one, is grounded in the Bible. 
Preaching must always have the word of God at its core. Apart from scripture, the preacher has nothing to say and do up here. I'm just motivationally speaking or just telling you my, my opinions. And it's not elevating scripture over God or over Christ when his words are what we study. We're commanded to do so. And God himself has elevated his word. So preaching must contain the word of God as a major part of this sermon. Secondly, preaching that honors God is Trinitarian. Biblical preaching emphasizes the, the persons and work of the whole Trinity. God the Son, our Lord, our, our Jesus Christ is the one who performed that glorious work on the cross. But, the God, but God the Father and the Spirit are not apart from that work. They are part of it. God honoring preaching not only focuses on the Son's work on the cross, but also the Father's work in all of our salvation, in all of creation, in all that He does, and the Spirit's work in the world and in us and in the church. Preaching that leaves out the Father and the Spirit has a real danger of corrupting the gospel, has a real danger of making us forget why we're even saved in the first place, why we were reconciled to God the Father and how we're sealed by the Holy Spirit. And then thirdly, preaching that honors God is faithful to the text. When a passage of Scripture is preached, it should be interpreted and explained according to the way that God intended it. Now we have to do some study to get to that. We have to dig in and look at the context and the grammar and the history. But there was a specific reason God had the writers of Scripture Write that, and we ought to preach that intent. If the passage is on how to live a Christian life, then the sermon, the main point, should be on how to live the Christian life. If the passage is on how to defeat a specific sin in your life, then the point of the sermon ought to reflect the point of the passage. Even if that point that is uh, in Scripture is not one that we like, it must be proclaimed. The sermon's not to be driven by a preacher's hobby horse or even our favorite doctrine, but it's got to be driven by the point of the text. So those are the first three. It, preaching that honors God is grounded in the Bible, honors uh, God because it's Trinitarian, and honors God because it's faithful to the text. This week, I want us to look at preaching that honors God is edifying. Edifying. Why did Christ give pastors and even teachers to the church? He did it so that we might be built up. So that we would be built up and do the work of ministering to one another and also take the word out to the world. Last week in, in my first point, I said that preaching must be grounded in the Bible. And, and I reviewed that this morning of how the content of the sermon ought to be Mostly from the Bible, about the Bible, about the passage. But when I say preaching that honors God is edifying, I'm talking about the result of the preaching, not the content of the sermon, but the result that it ought to bring. When you come here each and every Sunday and you hear the word preached, there is expectations on the listener to do something with the preaching. And we could summarize that by saying it is to build up. It's an effect of the preaching. 
whenever we're built up and edified. If you want to grow in Christ, which every Christian should want to grow in Christ, they should want to grow in holiness, then you will want to be edified by the preaching so that you can know how to live out what Christ commanded and know how to honor and please him. This really gets to a bigger topic, doesn't it? What's the purpose of the Sunday morning gathering? Why do we gather like this every Sunday morning and get together, hear the word preached, sing, pray, read scripture? What's the purpose? It's for worship. It's to worship our God. It's to worship the Father, the Son, the Spirit. We give him a praise, adoration, honor, thanksgiving. He's the only one worthy to receive it. And that's why we gather together as believers. Everything we do here is exactly as the Lord has prescribed it. If he hasn't prescribed it, then we have to make decisions on how to organize and order our service. But we try to follow the commands of Scripture. Now the church gathers to worship. We don't gather here this morning to evangelize. The main purpose of our meeting this morning is not evangelism. In fact, you can see over and over in Scripture where believers gather, gather for the purpose of edifying ourselves, for edifying others in the church. Evangelism outside the church should always be happening as an effect of what's done here. Here's the training ground. This is the battleship where we're training to go out and launch out and preach and teach the word to others. That is not the main purpose of why we gather here today. The the seeker-friendly church movement has really done a lot of confusion on this matter. It's, It's confused true believers on what the purpose of Sunday morning worship is. In Acts 2.42, they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching. Believers were gathering together to hear the apostles teaching them. They were already saved. And to fellowship and the breaking of bread and to prayer. Yet often, if you've been part of a seeker-friendly church or even been around American Christianity, you began to think that we gather here for the sake of evangelizing the unbelievers that might come in. Certainly, we want to see unbelievers saved. And if that happens here in the service, amen. But is that the purpose of our gathering each week? It is often that we're going through a text and the text is on the gospel. And I will proclaim the gospel. And a preacher should do that if that's what the text calls for. It might even be that it's a certain time of year. Christmas, Resurrection Sunday that we stop what we're doing and preach a message just on the gospel, what Christ has done for us. And it would be right and just for me to call people to salvation, to repent and believe in the name of Jesus Christ. But if I'm giving the same gospel message every week, I'm not fulfilling the commands of Scripture to build up the body, to edify the saints. By definition, what is the church? It's a group of called out people, humans, men and women, that gather together for the purpose of taking the ordinances together, for hearing the word preached, for conducting church discipline together, and for worship. Let's not forget what the church is. It is believers called out from the world 
that have been saved. They have believed upon the Lord Jesus Christ. They receive God's grace. So when these megachurches are preaching the same four-point message every single week with a little different twist, they're not building up the saints. They're preaching evangelistically every week. And they must conclude in my mind that most of the people listening are not saved. Which is fine. Don't call it a church, though. Call it an evangelistic outreach. There's no problem with preaching the gospel to unbelievers. But the church has a specific definition in Scripture. So I think after today's message, you'll, you'll see what the purpose of preaching really is, if you haven't already. That it's honoring to God to do it as He has designed it. This is what we see over and over in Scripture. We see that Christ gave preaching, gave preachers, gave pastors and teachers for the purpose to build up the body of Christ. So let me just give you two reasons why it's honoring to God for preaching to be edifying. It must be edifying in the church. Regular, week-by-week preaching must be edifying. Two related items, two sides of the same coin, if you will. First of all, because it causes growth in holiness. Preaching must be edifying because it causes us to grow in holiness. To be set apart is to be holy. To be like God. To be different from fallen mankind. We're called to do that. We're not immediately, perfectly holy when we're saved. There is a growth process which must occur in our life. Until God sees fit to bring us to Him. So to grow in holiness as a Christian means that we're killing our sin and that we're becoming more and more like Christ. We're being sanctified. That's what the word means. Uh, Sanctification means to be made holy. What did Christ say to Peter? Once Peter had been restored, and Peter was kind of the first among equals in the apostle group. He wasn't the first pope by any means. There was never a first pope, a true pope anyway. But Peter was a sort of a spokesman for the group of apostles. And when Christ restored him, he gave him a command. What did he say to him? If you love me, you will feed my sheep. You will feed my sheep. The sheep are going to die if the shepherd's not feeding them. They're going to waste away. They're going to be immature. They're going to be unhealthy. So Christ said three times, actually, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He wants his people to be fed the word of God. He did not say feed my goats. Goats don't even like to really eat what sheep eat in the real world. He said, feed my sheep. Unbelievers do not like to hear the regular preaching of the word. Unbelievers can attend church. They can even join and sneak in. But they really don't like in their heart to hear preaching of the word every week that convicts of sin. And so we ought not to water down the message. We ought not to take the word of God and take the edge off of it to please men's ears. One uh, favorite old pastor in Scotland, he said the pastor is called to feed the sheep even if the sheep do not want to be fed. He's certainly not to become an entertainer of goats. Let goats entertain goats and let them do it out in goat land. You will certainly not turn goats into sheep by pandering to their goatishness. 
We're here to feed the sheep. If a goat wanders in and they hear the word of God and their heart is born again because of God's spirit, amen. But Christ said, feed my sheep. To teach believers the Bible, it's just part of the Great Commission. It's part of the Great Commission. Remember, there's three parts of the Great Commission, three things that we're to do. Make disciples. That's one that gets most of the press. That's where it starts. Make a disciple. Then we're to secondly baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They've got to have some basic teaching on Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, obviously. Baptize them. That's a profession publicly. They should be brought into the local church there. And then thirdly, what is Christ's command? He's not done with the Great Commission when he says this. Teaching them to observe all that I commanded. Not just part of it. Not just the parts that I like. All that I commanded. That means we got to teach the Bible. We've got to teach people in the church all that Christ has commanded us to do. Not only about Him and His work on the cross and salvation and the gospel, but the commands to live a holy life and what's coming in the future and what's happened in the past. And then He goes on to say, I'm with you always, even to the end of age. This continual process of making disciples and baptizing them and teaching them in the church is going to continue until Christ returns. It doesn't end. It doesn't end for you. It doesn't end for the church. So how does this part of the Great Commission happen? Well, it happens by leaders in the church standing up and proclaiming the truth. It happens by people taking the word of God and teaching and exhorting you with it and applying it. Sunday by Sunday, exposition of the word is feeding the flock. It's why we're doing what we're doing right now. It's the purpose of preaching. To help you be more like Christ. That might be giving you a a glimpse of God in Scripture so that you will worship Him better. It might be uh, telling you to stop a certain sin with a passage in Scripture. It could just be telling you how to love your wife or your kids or bring them up in the Lord. There is hundreds of different slices of the pie that God has put in Scripture to teach us so that it's not the same message every week, but it should be different. Look at Ephesians 4 with me. We just read it, but let's go back there. Ephesians 4. I just want you to see again, in Paul's own words, the purpose of pastors and teachers. Pastors being elders in the church, leaders that should teach the word. Some will teach and preach more sometimes than others. That's in 1 Timothy 5. But we're looking here at Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. You want to know the purpose of gathering together? Why Christ gave pastors and teachers? Here it is. He gives a list in verse 4. Apostles, prophets, etc. Then he gets down to pastors and teachers. Those are two offices still with us today in the church. And what's their purpose? Verse 12. This isn't a mystery. This isn't hard to see here. For the equipping of the saints. Who are the saints? These aren't the holy people that the Roman Catholics venerate. These are believers. Saints are holy ones. The word saints in Latin just means a holy one. A sanctified one by the work of Christ. Believers. Disciples. Christians, church members, hopefully. 
And what's the pastors and teachers' job? They're to, by the preaching of the word, to build up, to equip, to give you what you need to serve. Isn't that how it continues here? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of service. So my job right now is to equip you with knowledge and and to help apply these things to your own heart and life so that you can do what? Serve. Serve one another in this body and serve the Lord by proclaiming His truth whenever you have opportunity outside the church. Serve includes many things in and outside the church. And what's the purpose of service? To the building up of the body of Christ. There it is again. We're being equipped. We're building up. To to edify means to build up, to strengthen. There's a specific purpose for preaching and teaching. And it's to build up. It's to equip. It's to serve. And then he goes on in verse 13. How long does this go for? I mean, do you just get edifying preaching for a few months or a few years? Until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Anybody there yet? How about this next one? And of the knowledge of the Son of God. We have some knowledge, but do you have perfect knowledge? Not even the knowledge in Scripture do you probably all have in your mind yet. To a mature man who could claim that they're perfectly mature in Christ. To the measure of the stature. And just in case, by the way, you thought you might be there. Here he says, here's the the measure. To the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Who can measure up to Christ? So we're not done. You're not done one month into your walk with the Lord. You're not done two years, five years. You should never get tired of hearing the Bible faithfully taught and preached. It's part of the Great Commission. It's why he gave pastors and teachers. It's what Paul did when he went to Ephesus in Acts 20. He said there, that he was teaching the whole counsel of God to believers for three years. I don't think that Paul just reminded them regularly of what Christ did for them. I think he started somewhere back in the Old Testament and went through a survey of Scripture and brought out the doctrines. And he did that in about two to three years there in the school of Tyrannus in Ephesus until he was run off. That's what Paul did. That's... He even said in, in Acts 20, 20, how that I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, anything that gave you profit in your life, not financial profit, but good things that you could use. He taught, which is all of Scripture, things that you can use in your life to grow in godliness. And he says, teaching you publicly and from house to house. Again, Jesus is our model here. He says in Luke eight twenty one. My mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. They hear it preached. They hear it proclaimed and they do it. That's my family, he says. Later, he says, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. That's the Christian life. I mean, there's a lot of other things in the Christian life. But we are hearing the word of God and we are doing it. We are observing it. It's not always boring. I mean, it's not always fun. Sometimes that might seem boring to you. But that is the purpose of why we're here. Yes, we are to evangelize. But I just read to you a passage that says we're to be built up. We're to be mature. So they go together. Evangelism and being built up. 
Colossians 1.28, we proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. Listen to 1 Timothy 4.6. I mean, this, this one really applies. All of them apply, but think about your own life and things that might be going on. And pointing out these things, Paul says. What are these things? How to live a godly life. And, and pointing out how to live a godly life to the church, Timothy, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Constantly nourished, that means fed, growing because you're being fed on the words of the faith and of sound doctrine which you have been following. 1 Timothy 4.16 Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Listen to this. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation, both for yourself, for those who hear you. Pay close attention to how you live and, and the doctrines that you believe. And by doing that, you're going to ensure your salvation. In other words, he's speaking here of the final salvation from the judgment. You're going to live it out. You're going to show everyone that you are a Christian. Your fruit will match what you say. So what this means is if someone comes to me, or even to you, and if they're convicted of their sin, what's the first thing you're going to do? Tell them your opinion? Should I tell people my opinion, tell them my thoughts, tell them my experiences, or take them to the Word of God? That's the most important thing I can do. I mean, if they're an unbeliever, then I'm going to take them to the Word of God and show them the passages about Christ and the Gospel, what it means to repent, what it means to believe. And it's going to be God's Word that convicts them. I can't do it by my persuasion. If they're a believer, I'm going to show them in the Scriptures where they have sinned and how to live a Christian life, how to turn away from that, how to put on the new self in Christ. I'm going to take them to His Word. Where else would I take them? What else would I do? That's exactly what I would do. That's exactly what you should do. Now, some people might say, well, why not take them to Christ? Aren't you giving the Bible a higher role in the believer's life than we really should? Shouldn't you just remind them of who Christ is? And I would say that's what I'm doing when I take them to his word. We can't separate the word of Christ from Christ. How do we know that we're even right about Christ or the gospel without looking at his word. We don't have to choose Christ or his word. They go together. It's not either or, but both and. It makes no sense to try to split those apart. Again, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture, all scripture, all of it is inspired by God. It's breathed out by God for what? Because it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, telling you when you're wrong, when you're in sin, for correction, for turning you the right direction, and for training in righteousness. If we're not supposed to take believers to the word and tell them to listen to the preaching and teaching, that passage makes no sense to me. I mean, that's why God gave us the scriptures. Take them to Christ. Take them to his redemptive work. If that's what's needed in that counseling session, in that sermon, but do it based upon the word. God could not be more clear. By, by submitting to his word in faith, through Christ, through the spirit, we're made more like Christ. We're sanctified. Because Jesus clearly said, sanctify them in truth. 
Your word is truth. So he could have just said, sanctify them in your word. That is what he said. He just said it in a a nice poetic way that we could remember. Sanctify them in truth. Now, what is truth? Your word is truth. Why wouldn't we want to take people to the preaching and teaching of the word? Take people to the word themselves to look at. That's the very thing God has given us. The, The word convicts us of our sin. When someone doesn't want to hear the word and doesn't want to read the word and doesn't want anything to do with the word, that's a sin problem. That's a conviction issue. The word convicts us of our sin and then it heals us to grow in faith. Listen how the Bible describes itself. It's a sword which pierces us to the marrow, judging our thoughts and intentions of the heart. It's pure milk, able to nourish us like mother's milk, solid food to make us mature in the faith. The Bible calls itself a mirror that shows us who we truly are, sins and all. It's a fire that purifies us. A hammer that breaks the rock of our hearts into pieces. A lamp and a light shining in a dark place, guiding us through life. And it's more desired than fine gold, sweeter than honey. That's how the word describes itself. Now I know it's popular of late uh, with the hyper grace movement to continue just pointing people back to the cross and not to the word. I know that that's uh, it's kind of seen its rise and, and it's falling now in evangelicalism. But I want you to remember that in Scripture, Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It is the Lord who does that work in you, but you are also called to work. Paul said, I worked harder than any of them, talking about his ministry. Was Paul bragging? Was he boasting? Was he sinning? No, he's saying, I put all my effort into serving the Lord. I worked harder than any of them. It's because of the cross that we can even work out, bear good fruit for the Lord. Show people, show the Lord even, that we truly love Him. Christ has done the sole work of justification, but sanctification is you and the Spirit working towards holiness. We can't do it without the Spirit, but we're called to also work. And when it comes to justification, that's all of Christ. It's none of you. But we're speaking here of edification, building up, sanctification. In Hebrews, the writer says, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. If you're not sanctified, you won't see the Lord. you got to pursue it. Peace with all men and, secondly, sanctification, he says. You've got to work at it. We're commanded to go after it. We should not only remember who we are in Christ, but what Christ has called us to be. We've got to press on toward the goal of becoming a mature man or woman in Christ. And this happens through the exercise of, of spiritual disciplines and that is taught to us in the Word. One of the main, most important spiritual disciplines is reading and studying and hearing the Word so that we might be conformed to how it describes Christ here. Anyone who refuses to be sanctified, refuses to hear the word, refuses to do what the word says is not a Christian. Jesus prayed to the Father, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. 
Is the father going to deny Jesus that prayer? His people will be sanctified. They will love the word of God. They will love the preaching of the word of God. Even if it's from a a fallible man, they will love it. All genuinely regenerated men and women want to hear what God has to say. And we do that through looking here, not out there. God's not speaking through people. He's already done it right here in his word. And we just speak the words of God to the people. So if he's speaking through anybody, he's speaking through those who are preaching and teaching the word. Well, that's why the word is taught here every Sunday to build you up, to help you grow in Christ. But there's another side of the coin, a second reason that we're to be built up, and it's to protect against false teaching. So many passages speak of us growing, fed, nourished. But there's also a lot that speak of pure doctrine, helping us resist false teaching. Without scripture being taught to you, you can hear the gospel, you can be saved as you hear it from someone else. But if you're not digging into what God has taught you, at least by hearing it, not going to grow and not going to be able to resist false teaching. Ephesians 4 again, verse 14. As a result of all the things we've already looked at in this passage, as a result of preachers and teachers, pastors and teachers building up, equipping, the church is being built up by serving, we're becoming more mature. As a result of all of this, we're no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. You're being built up, and one of the reasons is so you don't get tossed around every time something happens in the world, every time a false teacher comes on TV or puts out a new book, every time your family member comes to you and tells you that they've got some new thing that they've heard from God. You're not going to be tossed around because you're grounded in the truth. And even believers can be carried long off track by every wind of doctrine before they come back. Jude 3. Jude writes his letter, his little epistle, for this reason. Uh, While I was making every effort, he says, to write to you about our common salvation, he wanted to just rejoice. He wanted to rejoice with them about their salvation that they share. But he's not going to do that. I felt necessary to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. He's not saying contend earnestly for your faith, but the faith, the doctrines of the faith, the teachings of Scripture. You've got to contend. You've got to fight for the truth. Not physically fight. But you've got to fight with your mind and your heart and your soul for the truth because Satan is going to throw everything he can at you and and the church. 1 Timothy 1.3 As I urged you upon my departure for Macedonia, remain on at Ephesus so that you may instruct certain men not to teach sound doctrine. One of the purposes of preaching and teaching is so that we can teach others not to teach strange doctrines. Did I say teach sound doctrine? That's not right. Let me go back. Let me read it again. Just for the the recording. 
In fact, if you want to turn to 1 Timothy, I'm going to go through a few verses in the pastoral epistles to see how important this is. Timothy is placed in Ephesus. Titus is on the island of Crete. They're there as elders and they're to build up the church. But one of the issues is false teaching. So Paul says, I urged you, 1 Timothy 1.3, I urged you upon my departure, stay there in Ephesus. Why? So that you may instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Strange doctrines are always coming in. And elders, leaders have to teach them to not do that. 1 Timothy 4.1, there's a passage there. It says that we're sanctified by the means of the word of God. It goes on to say not to listen to demonic talk. They're saying that marriage is sinful, eating certain foods are sinful, and this is the doctrines of demons. The only way to correct that is to teach them what the Word says, because it goes on to say that all things are holy when sanctified by the Word in prayer. If God says it's holy, it's been sanctified, it's holy. We can eat it, do it, etc., 2 Timothy 4, 3, for all, for the time will come, I just read this earlier, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires. They're going to turn away. They're going to turn away their ears from the truth and they're going to look for their own desires to be preached on. I don't want to hear the word. I want to hear my own desires preached on, they will say. And they will go to places where that is what they hear. Either their hobby horse or their sinful desires are okay or whatever tickles their ears. Titus 1.9 What are elders to be doing? Who should be qualified to be an elder. One of the qualifications are men who are holding fast the faithful word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be both able to exhort in sound doctrine, the positive, and refute those who contradict. It's often said, I think it was Calvin who said, the preacher's got to have two voices. One to, to call the sheep, and one to scare away the wolves. The preaching of the Word of God does that. It makes people who don't want to hear the Word move on, and it makes people who want to hear the Word stay and hear more. That is how important preaching is. One more passage. Titus 1.10 For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. Simply reminding you who you are in Christ over and over is not going to help you fight false doctrine. You've got to know what's true in the Word to know what's false in the world. That's the best way to do it. We can't lecture you on all the false teachings because Satan's going to invent something new tomorrow. And he's going to change the wording and change the group name and change the heresy to something else. But if you know the truth well enough, you can spot the counterfeit. 
God's word should be preached and taken in for these reasons. To build you up. To help you resist false teaching. They go together. We've got to take up the sword of the Spirit. God did not leave us without protective armor and a weapon to fend off the devil. And what is that weapon? It's the sword of the Spirit. Jesus, when he was attacked by Satan, what did he say? Did he say, you know what, Satan? I'm the Son of God and you need to leave me alone. Let me remind you, Satan, of who I am. He didn't say that. What did he do? The Son of God quoted Scripture against Satan. Because it's the sword of the Spirit, Paul tells us. Now, we get to a couple of objections about this kind of preaching. Each week, in and out, you're hearing the Word, you're being built up, you're being edified. There's a couple of objections that often come up within the Christian world. One is the objection of idolatry. We spoke of this a bit last Sunday, but again, we're faced with this argument that if if we submit to Scripture through the preaching of the Word, that we're somehow committing idolatry of the Bible. The text is what you worship, some will say. The Bible is exalted for sanctification over Christ Himself. In other words, what the problem is, we're telling people to look to Scripture and not to Christ. So that's idolatrous. Sometimes called bibliolatry. It's the idea that the, the, the Bible's really not necessary for sanctification. And if it is, it's secondary to our thoughts of Christ. You know, what I've described to you about edifying preaching, it wasn't just in the early church. We actually see that all throughout church history. Was John Calvin conducting false worship when he said, when I expound Holy Scripture, I must always make this my rule, that those who hear me may receive profit from the teaching I put forward and be edified unto salvation. Did the Westminster Puritans commit idolatry when they wrote that great confession of faith and they said that all the word directs us It's the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. Were they committing idolatry? All those Puritans? Was the Belgic Confession committing idolatry when it said God, from a special care which he has for us in our salvation, commanded his servants, prophets and apostles, to commit his revealed word to writing? Dare we call those people idols, idolaters? What about those Baptists? I mean, certainly... We get to the Baptist now in 1689. Were they committing idolatry and sin when they said, quote, the whole counsel of God concerning everything essential for his own glory and man's salvation, faith, and life is either explicitly stated or by necessary inference contained in the Holy Scriptures, close quote. What about that remarkable preacher of the Great Awakening, Jonathan Edwards? You must preach to the instruction and edification of the church Or you will fall into contempt, he writes to a pastor. He tells that pastor, if you don't preach to edify the church, you're going to be in contempt before God. A time would fail me to just go through church history and list every faithful and famous preacher who wrote or spoke of this issue. God gave the scriptures to be preached for edification, and it's not idolatrous to do so. Another objection. 
can people be led to salvation by this? I mean, if, if what we're doing here is mostly edifying the saints, the main point of the message, can people actually be saved? Well, Paul said the Old Testament was enough to lead Timothy to salvation through Christ. 1 Timothy 3.15. Do we believe in the sovereignty of God or what? Do we think that God in his word can bring people to salvation without us preaching the same message every week, the same four points, the same altar call, the same sinner's prayer, all of which I don't agree with? Isaiah 55.11. So will my word B, which goes forth from my mouth, it will not return empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Preaching is the mouthpiece of God. We're preaching his word to edify, but if people hear it and are saved, that is obviously the work of God. It's God's work anyway, isn't it? Salvation. Do we think we're supposed to convince people by the pulpit ministry to be saved? We're just persuaded through scripture and that's it. Not of our own reasoning. Let me tell you one example of how this can happen. R.C. Sproul, speaking of his conversion, occurred one night when he heard somebody teaching the word. He said, I'd never heard anything like it. And I was just absorbed. I sat there for two or three hours and this guy was talking. He didn't give a traditional evangelism talk to me. He just kept talking to me about the wisdom of the word of God. He quoted Ecclesiastes 11.3. Here it is. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, there it will lie. Sproul continues, I just feel certain that I'm the only person in church history that was converted by that verse. God just took that verse and struck my soul with it. I saw myself as a log that was rotting in the woods and I was going nowhere. When I left that guy's table, I went up to my room and into my room by myself in the dark and got on my knees and cried out to God to forgive me. Yes, there will be times when we preach just the gospel. There will be times when a minor point of the passage relates to Christ and his gospel. But people can be saved anywhere from the word of God. It's not bad to give a summary of the gospel message, but it's not required in scripture to be done every single week. Now we love the Lord Jesus Christ here. We want to proclaim his gospel. We will do that. We have done that. You can just search online to find that on the website. But we are concerned about preaching that honors God. It's got to contain the Bible. It's got to be Trinitarian. It's got to be the way he intended it, as far as the meaning goes, and it's got to be edifying. That's what we're here for. It's not about four spiritual laws. It's not about an altar call. It's not about a sinner's prayer. That's about preaching the word. That's what we're to do. The scriptures are meant to be preached in the church for a reason. And that's what we're here. And that is a main part of our worship each Sunday. So I hope you'll agree with me in believing those things as we close out this series. And I hope that you'll ask yourself if you want to submit yourself to the word of God in faith. You want to obey the Lord and what he's commanded. Because that is a true mark of a believer.
God, help us, oh Lord, help us, please, to be a church that just will not bend or budge on your truth. We want to speak kindness and love, but the only way we can do that is from what you've already given us. Let us be faithful to you, O Lord. Let us be always and forever faithful. In Jesus' name, amen.